Much of the flying saucer they both saw while piloting a plane between Little Rock and Memphis. Here's the strange story. Believe it or not. We uh, feel definitely that it was a controlled uh, controlled aircraft of some type. Uh, don't you think I, so? I think it had to be. Uh, what was the first thing that uh, that really drew your attention to, uh, to it being probably a flying saucer, Jack? Well, uh, the uh, circular pattern of lights that were arranged under what I term the underneath side of the ship as it passed uh, uh, in front of us and across our path. I'm uh, uh, not inclined to believe that it's anything that's uh, from some far place, some planet, you are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. Okay, welcome back to the show, everybody. Um, I'm getting bored of saying welcome back to Project Archivist. We but want me to start saying it? You can start saying welcome back to Project Archivist if you want. Welcome to. back. Wait, no, I'm not singing. It's welcome back, Carter. Yeah. All right. To the, this week's episode, um, we have the return of Jeff Ritzman. And this is the second time we've recorded this intro. The first intro we recorded, after I mixed the episode down and listened to it, it didn't fit with the episode. But this will be um, a multi-part show. We interviewed Jeff for uh, two hours and 40 minutes. Is that what it was? Two hours and forty-five we minutes. Interview after. Well, no, it was it was longer than that. Well, it was a um, four-hour total conversation. It was a four four-hour and twenty-five-minute total conversation. But we only actually interviewed him on the show. Um, just over of, three. Was it just over three hours? Just over three hours. The rest of the time was before. There was like twenty minutes before, and there was like forty-five minutes after. Okay. This episode is roughly an hour long, though. I was going to release them. I was going to release them as a two-part show because what we cover in this show, the intention was to cover UFOs, um, more specifically fakes and videos and UFOs, the stuff you see on Facebook where the more educated people look at it and go, is this real? And Or you'll say, this is a fake. Um, and there's a lot of that out there. There's a lot of fake photography and stuff out there. So what happened um, was I, I came up with this idea for a show, and I, of course, the way I usually do it, I called Lobo up and said, we're doing this as a show. You know, are you interested? And Lobo was like, yeah. Um, so what we did is um, we got a hold of Jeff because Jeff has a very extensive background in editing and checking video photography and videos and photos and how these things work. Uh, um, I think for his job, he does a lot with photography and these programs and stuff as his job specifically. I don't know exactly what his job is, but I know it has to do with like, he, he does a lot of stuff with this kind of stuff, and he's, he's looked into it extensively. So we recorded the show with the intention of talking about topics like O'Hare Airport, Golf Breeze, things that he has worked on very specifically. And after I got done editing the show, after I listened to it, it's kind of strange, but each show becomes an episode unto itself. It's kind of like watching the movie Full Metal Jacket, where the first part's just the drill sergeant wigging out, and then it goes on to the rest of the movie. And they're kind of two separate movies that tell the same story as a whole. So what you're going to hear in this episode is, Jeff, we talk a lot about O'Hare Airport. And what he does in this episode is um, he also explains how hoaxers work, how the technology works. It's a long show. Um, at times it does get a bit technical. But if you stick to it and you listen to it, you'll learn something. Because at the end of the episode, when I got done editing it, I felt I learned something out of it. To where when I look at a photo now, I know what to look for. I can tell you – know, it just it teaches you things in it, which is a really good show. Um, did you have anything you wanted to say here? <laughs> I'm, no. Just, you're just I'm here? Just, I was just – I was just – you know, it was – it was as always talking to Jeff is is a fascinating time. You, he, I mean, if, if if you heard what we heard before we started recording, and you know, just the, the he's like a brother. He truly is like a brother because you know we share personal things, we share family things, we share life events, we share all kinds of stuff. And it's really having Jeff on the show is it, it sounds like it's all you know professional, and it is because that's what we try to do. But it's it's more than that because behind the scenes there's a lot more going on as far as just the family that we have been able to build through this. Yeah, I'll agree with that. 
it's not even weird having him on. Like, it doesn't even feel like he's a guest anymore. No, it it's doesn't. It's like, like, hey, look, another co-host. Hey, what's up? Yeah, he's more or less like this. It's like having a guy come over to the house and play Xbox and sit around drink beer and eat pizza with you and stuff. That's it. Um, but um, listen to the show, and then the next show after this is a different show. The next one we're going to post at the end of the week. I was going to say we're not doing a show next week, but we will be because of this. It just <laughs> won't be a fresh new show. It'll be an extension of this one or what have you. And I'll say real quickly, I won't go into depth about it. I've had a lot of really weird, weird issues putting this episode together. Um, if you'd have heard me talking to Lobo five minutes ago. <laughs> I'm funny Skype. that, huh? <laughs> But uh, this is part one, and then uh, we'll have part two next week. You're going to be out of town. Um, I'm I'll, going to the Cape. I'm going to go see whales. I will probably just do a real brief intro for part two by myself because you're going to be out of town, and it won't be anything real specific or like that. So that's pretty much it, and uh, we'll talk to you guys in two weeks. The ne- next episode, also before we let you go, the next episode will be much longer. This one's about an hour. The next episode will probably be closer to two. If for some reason I can't make it as a two part as a two hour episode and get it uploaded and working right, we may extend this show into a three part show depending on how the editing and stuff goes. Yeah, there's a lot of information here, but it's cool. So absolutely. All right, folks, take care. Talk to you soon. See you on the other side. Peace. We got uh, Jeff Ritzman back with us, and uh, we're going to be talking a lot about evidence, the fake evidence, the real evidence, if the real evidence is fake, if the fake evidence is real, does the evidence matter, and all the fun, happy horse stuff that goes with it. But uh, are you there, Jeff? I am, sir. How are you? I am good. I'm real good. Before we go any further with all of this, we need to get out of the way, and we're going to touch on it a little bit, is the whole Paratopia thing. You <laughs> guys are you guys are just going down to a monthly episode thing, right? No more live show, but you are still around. You're not, you're not making your podcast departure into the great podcast beyond, right? <laughs> do you honestly think we could do that? No. <laughs> I, I never for a second thought you would be able to do that. No, no. We're we're just going for the month uh month to month thing and we're not you know, we're not doing premium things anymore like that, no subscriptions and all of that. It's just gonna be strictly once a month. And it's probably gonna end up being like a two and a half, three hour gig every time we do it. So I think we're gonna take this month. I think I haven't really gone over this with Jeremy in totality, but I think we're going to be doing like uh, a month off and then starting our monthly uh, at the end of that. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things, like we said, you know, when it's uh, when it gets to the end and you can't make something productive, then there's really no point in uh, in in continuing. You know, I, I think enough can happen in a month. Yeah, that we would have enough to talk yeah. about and enough to present and also give people enough to. To ponder. I mean, is a week long enough to ponder something anymore? I don't think it is. Do you see Paratopia changing then, since you guys are going to be taking a break and only hitting it once a month and you know doing a couple hours at a pop? Do you see the show changing and going in different directions now? Because you had mentioned that, um, me and you talked in private, that you were going to be start doing a little bit of investigating again, and yeah, you know that your scope is is beginning to change a little bit. Do you, do you perceive Paratopia changing a little bit, like maybe covering different topics or going in a different directions? I don't, I don't. The only thing I, I see us not doing is probably something um, that we've either already done to death. Like I, I could see us going with psychedelic stuff again and looking into that deeper. Cool. As more science becomes available on it, because again they're getting pushed back on the actual medical, you know, studying of psychedelic effects and and also the psychological aspects of psychedelic effects on cancer patients on. Uh, uh, psychoses and that sort of treatment. I can see us going in that direction and looking at that closer. But as far as going like into hypnosis again, why? Yeah. Um, <laughs> now it's done. It's over. If you missed that boat, then go back and listen to the old shows because we're not covering that ground again. Um, I don't think it's going to change. I don't see us doing like uh, conspiracy theory stuff or government, you know, all that nonsense. I don't see us doing that. That's fine for people who like it. That's not where we are going with this. I think you're going to see us going more along the lines of of really having people on who deal with 
um, imagination and what that means, inspired thought and what that means, um, how we interact in reality, what reality is, um, and then start kind of like coupling what is the paranormal and how is it, what is its relationship to that. In other words, not how many windows <laughs> there is, but uh, what is it doing? That's really where where everyone in ufology should be looking is what is it doing um and not enough people pay attention to that i think they look more along the lines of how fast was it going what color was it what actions did it make what did the aliens say to you let's start looking at what it's doing because that's really the point yeah before we move forward considering we're talking a bit about paratopia whatever happened now you don't have to answer it if you don't want to sure but whatever happened with project core that is still going. Excellent. Uh, oh, that God, actually ends God. in October. Good. Um, well, not good that it's ending, but... <laughs> well, that's phase one. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, because that, that part of it is... Uh, and phase two is not even written yet of, mm-hmm. of exactly how that's going to be handled. But one of the biggest things that, that people have said to us is, um, are we going to be able to read the accounts that people are sending you? And the answer to that is no. Oh, damn because... It. All of that was gathered under the pretense of your name is protected, uh, yep. or we don't want your name. We don't want to know who you are. Right. Uh, give us your story. We will not publish, share, or anything your story. It's going to be strictly used for a statistical uh, spreadsheet. That's right. what we're doing. Uh, but you, you know, I have read them, and I can tell you these are not again goofy people who um, are just looking to tell a story. These are deeply strange. Um, and, and as I've said from the start about ufology, you're all being hoodwinked by mainstream ufology because it ain't nothing like what they're telling you that it is. Right. And until you actually experience it for yourself, you're never going to know what it's really like. Well, all these cases, I would say the vast majority of them know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And I think that if we can get enough of a groundswell for people to go, you know what? I'm tired of seeing the same old cookie-cutter science fiction bullcrap thrown on the screen for us and claiming that this is the alien experience or this is the sighting experience or whatever. Everybody Uh, wants to be Betty and Bernie Hill. You get over the idea that it's too (laughs) weird to talk about. I think that's probably the biggest problem is everybody thinks that, oh, my God, I can't say this because people think I'm insane. Well, and it is insane. Yeah, yeah, there's no question about it. Is absurd. It is ridiculous, but it is all of those things, and um, and that doesn't negate it in any way. And uh, and so Project Core was like, we don't want you to hold anything back from us. We're not judging you. Um, we're not evaluating you. Tell us what your story is. And right. we even asked for people to click a checkbox that said. Tell us this is a factual story or a fictional story. So we even right. solicit for people to fake us. Um, just tell us you're faking the story because we're going to compare that. Have to you had a lot of people do that? Um, yes. There's been uh, not nearly as much as the factual ones. Yeah. But yeah, there's been a substantial amount of, of fictional stories that have been submitted in what someone thinks would happen. Now, is there any and, correlation so far that you can tell? Between uh, faction, faction I, fiction? To be honest with you, man, I don't read them. Okay. I am leaving them set, and they are still amassing on a weekly basis. We are still getting input on that. That's awesome. So it's in the hundreds now. Cool. Uh, I don't. I haven't taken a really good tally of it as of late, but uh, when it comes to term in October, all that data is going to get funneled to me, Jeremy, Dr. Kochan, and Dr. Kimball, who's doing the statistical breakdown of it. And he's a statistician, so that's what he does. Nice. And uh, and we're going to see how all that shakes out. And based on that, if that fundamentally changes some things, we're going to make that known. But then the phase two may entail people saying – uh, to us, yes, print my story. Yes, use what I'm writing here. It may still be in an anonymous fashion, but it may be the kind of thing where we withhold their names, but we know who they are. Right. Uh, that makes it a little easier to, to to actually deal with when you know who someone is, but we don't necessarily have to say who they are. Um, well, I will say that 
that we do have a link if anybody out there is listening to this and they would like to submit to that. We do still have a link on our webpage at projectarchivist.com on the right-hand side that you can click onto it and it'll take you right to Project Core and you guys can put information in or contribute to what Jeff here is talking about. So that's you know that 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 still is on our site. We've never taken that down. And and I, I don't mean to mislead people when I say it ends in October. That doesn't mean you're going to get any data out of the scientists working on this or Jeremy and I working on this that is going to be able to give you anything. It could literally be a few months before the work is done to where we can cohesively present what we found out out of this. We've got this correlation in somebody who's had a head injury versus someone who has not had a head injury, someone who's played a contact sport versus someone who has not. It's going to break down in very, very distinctive ways. And so it's going to be up to the person to look at it and see the pattern that we're looking at here. We all want to be able to see it. It's not like I want to lead somebody by the hand through this. I want them to be go, well, yeah, look at that. Hmm. That's always, to me, the, the biggest part. And when we start talking about photo analysis, that's where I'm going to hit you with that again. So That's where we're going to go right now. <laughs> well, actually okay. – Let's get started on this then. We we've got you here because uh, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about different prominent cases and things that have happened in uvology that we're all a little bit familiar with. You're more familiar with them than we are. And um, I'll tell you what got me started thinking about this is that recently I went on a trip through my company and I came back and I landed in O'Hare Airport. And as I was on the runway, I was looking over across at the hangar for where this event took place that we're about to talk about was the O'Hare UFO sighting. And I remember I was looking at that on at the hangar and I was like, I wonder whatever became of that case. And I sat there and I'm like, wow, this is, this is a spot where something reportedly happened. It happened out there. You know, I wonder whatever happened to that. And it just kind of rolled around in the back of my head. And then I went, you know, you go on YouTube and you see the videos that are on YouTube. You type in UFO video, ghost video, uh, UFOs are the big ones where you type something in and people will put together like a montage of video UFO clips with, with music behind them. And a lot of them are, they're ones that are definite hoaxes and stuff. And I'm like, all right, at what point does this end? So you have a background in in studying pictures and videos and stuff like that. So yeah. tell us why I asked you to come on the show. I'll put it that way and make it simpler for you. Why did you ask me to come on the show? Because <laughs> <laughs> you're I, I, we think you're sexy, Jeff. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> well, tell us what your background is. To, you know, for with all this with with studying videos and photos and things like that. Tell oh. us, you know. Oh, geez. Well, I mean, I started. Um, I mean, from the time I was probably seven or eight years old, uh, I knew exactly what I wanted to be when I grew up, and I wanted to do, um, you know, visual art. That's what I did. And um, I thought you were going to say Eddie from Iron Maiden, but go ahead. Uh, well, I, if I had come <laughs> up with that idea, I'd be a very rich man. I knew from a very young age. I mean, I. I meet people all the time, uh, young people all the time. My my friends and my sons, and you know, they. Oh, what are you gonna, What are you going to do? I have no idea what I want to do. I'm like, how can you not know what you want to do? Because I always knew. I would think from the time I was uh, seven or eight, mom and dad were throwing me into advanced painting classes and advanced uh, illustration classes, and I was going to school with people who were. <laughs> You know, I was going to these classes where people were 18 and 16, and I'm like eight. And, uh, <laughs> and um, you know, and then I, I noticed that, you know, mom and dad were always getting called to the guidance counselor office a lot about uh, things. And I would say, what was that all about? You know, and they said, well, you know, they said that your your art level of what you're able to do is is like pretty much past what people your age should be doing. And they want to put you into this gifted, gifted and talented class and all that. So that all progressed into, of course, when computers came along, I was like, hmm, there's a, a neat tool, you know, and uh, I don't have to I don't have to airbrush stuff and get paint down my arms. And because at the time I was I was airbrushing dragsters and uh, funny cars and uh, antique fire trucks and all that. sort. Of, I mean, I was in the sign business doing airbrush work for, you know, oh, that is so decades awesome. and and that's what I did, and I still do it. I mean, I my guitar business, I employ a lot of that same stuff, and that worked its way into like production companies and doing some work on some films and and prop and set work and that sort of thing. And uh, all the while, computers are coming up. Computers are starting to become uh, really interesting. And so I had been looking at at UFO photographs. I think uh, 
like I told you, Lobo, last night, uh, or I'm sorry, Rosian last night, um, Dr. Maccabee kind of gave me a lot of, of inspiration and a lot of like what to look for. And um, I mean, we had a lot of conversations in this woman's laundry room that we used to have experience or group meetings at her house. And I remember we were smokers and Maccabee wasn't, but he would come back as the rest of us were back there smoking and we'd chat about, you know, photo analysis stuff. And, um, uh, and so I started looking at photographs when I was doing like analog photography work and looking for strings and blowing up photographs and, all that sort of thing. When the computer came along, my God, you could scan on a drum scanner. People know what I mean when I say a drum scanner. If you've been around for a while, you know you could get this massive image, you know, where you could do all these really neat things to it and like look deeply into emulsion effects and, and you know and spot uh, paste up edges and you know common hoax things from yesteryear that they used to try and pull. All very analog, small models, paste up. Uh, stuff on glass, all of the typical fare that you would get back then. And then when computers came, then it became computer hoaxes. And that's where I kind of like, I really delved in early to that kind of stuff and started looking at, you know, how can Photoshop start looking at this stuff? And how can you look into different channel layers of what makes up an image? What does that even mean? And then once I realized what that meant, then I could look at color differentials and I could look at what shows up in a green channel as opposed to a blue channel and what happens if you put it in lab color and all of these things? And then there's the abundance of filters that Photoshop can employ that can show you a lot of things that it wasn't intended to do this. I mean, that was never – its intention was not to be a forensics program. Actually, it's not bad at that. And so as it went along, I got hooked up with Above Top Secret. Pretty soon I was like their photo analyst for that place. I mean, I – I looked at everything that came through the door uh, along the way. I mean, between that point and the analog stuff of really early on, you know, I was looking at stuff from Golf Breeze and Pine Bush and uh, things out of Phoenix. And I mean, it just, I just somehow, I just started publishing reports of stuff that I would find and saying what I thought it was. And it turned out that more times than enough, over time, I found out I was right. <laughs> so you've seen a lot then. You've seen pretty much. Pretty much oh, everything yeah. under the sun as far as UFO stuff goes. You've, you, you've done work on ghost stuff, I'm assuming, too? Very little. I, I would love to do more of that. Actually, if I had my way, I would be doing way more of that these days than I would be the UFO stuff. But, yeah, I mean, I somehow I just I just kept doing it, and I kept doing it, and I kept – you know, after – it's weird with this field because after a while, people just begin to call you. And, <laughs> and I was like, one day I just got a call. Like in 1997, I get this call. You know, we've got this footage out of Mexico City, and it's a disc, and it's broad daylight, and it's huge. You want to see it? I'm like, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you? Can I get? When can I get my hands on it? And I'm like, you know, this is really awesome. Well, that was the big UFO sighting of that year. That was one where uh, it floated behind the building, correct? Correct. Yeah. I mean, that was uh, that was literally the first really sophisticated. CGI. There's a term that a lot of listeners probably hate because uh, <laughs> they see that all the time. Well, that's CGI. You know, people don't even half the people who say that's CGI don't even know what CGI is. But you know, that was literally the first big CGI hoax. And I've still to this day, if I mention that on a message board, people go, "No, that was real." And I'm like, <sighs> and I <laughs> and I post this. I post this. <laughs> well, I post this GIF where I show them. You see this? You know what this means? This means it's crap. <laughs> um, and, you know, and then they're like, I mean, it, it's been one of, truthfully, I mean, that's been one of the only cases where people don't fight me because it's so obvious that they go, oh, dude, how did you ever see that? And I'm like, well, when you go frame by frame till your eyes bleed, that's well, when you can see it, you know? We were going to ask you about a couple of other cases that we found interesting, and, and Lobo wanted to lead with the O'Hare UFO case. And then uh -huh. I talked to you for a little bit last night, and you said, oh, O'Hare, and you kind of rubbed your hands together, and <laughs> and, and you've, got, you've got a plethora of information, I guess, to give us on O'Hare. Yeah. Now, to go back and recap a little bit, um, Above Top Secret is like one of the major ufology websites where people go to to post and hang out. I think that's one of the still major active forums that's out there that I know of. Um, there's not many left because Facebook kind of came along and it just kind of destroyed forums. But I know 
above top secret still going pretty strong. Are you still active in above top secret? Or have you have you stepped step back from it? I, I peek in every now and then. I'm not nearly as. I mean, once I started doing Paratopia, needless to say, I couldn't spend an over amount of time there. Yeah. Uh, I used to be on there a lot. I mean, especially back with the uh, when when I was uh, coming back from another self imposed hiatus from this stuff uh, and uh, somehow got dragged into the Meyer case. Ugh. Nothing but sheer aggravation and <laughs> as most of this is. Yeah, well, I bring uh, up Top Secret again because I mean above Top Secret because that's where the genesis of the O'Hare case started for you. Correct. So tell us tell us about the O'Hare UFO case and tell us what that was and how you got involved with it and ultimately what you came to the conclusion about it or whatever whatever juiciness you were supposed to give us tonight because I've been for the last twenty four hours I've been racking my brain waiting for this. <laughs> I mean, I got uh, – Mark Allen is one of the principals over at Above Top Secret, and I've known Mark for years and years now, and he's a really great guy. I believe at the time they had given me like my own message board on Above Top Secret because I had done so many analysis case workups for them that they just gave me my own forum. And that was really kind of nice uh, to have that – like my own little corner of ATS. Like who wouldn't want that? Uh, and one day Mark uh, calls me up and he's like, Jeff and he's like, I, 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 like, yeah, Mark Allen. I said, Mark. He says, Chicago. I was like, okay, uh, O'Hare Airport, familiar? I said, yeah, I know O'Hare. Uh, yeah, broad daylight UFO over top the uh, the airport, delayed flights. Really? He's like, we got a shot, man. I was like, really? He's like, it's anonymous. I was like, this is crap. <laughs> why is it always anonymous for anybody wanting to get into this uh, in, in in the way of like ufo analysis of visual data first of all run before i say anything else run you, you don't want to do it <laughs> but if you have to and you're so compelled to here's a one thing never ever ever analyze a photograph without contact with the witness who shot it a number one so you know against my better judgment i said well I'll look at it, but I mean, I certainly can't. Uh, I certainly can't bet the farm on it, and I'm not going to lay some kind of absolution on this video or this uh, photograph one way or the other. Is the best I can tell you, because without contact with who shot it, I can't ask them the questions I need to know. Fair enough. So I look at it, and I'm like, all right, it appears to be uh, shot on a runway. It is a. Uh, I would say it looks like a sideways view of an M&M. It's not a perfect circle. It's like an oblong oval. It is relatively hard to see. It's got a dark bottom. It's got a fairly light top. It's uh, definitely a – could I say it was a disc? No. I could say it might be. There wasn't enough differential in focus to be able to tell are the edges slightly less or more in focus than the leading edge. I couldn't tell. It appeared to be – Almost a camouflage-looking object. In other words, it didn't want to be seen. It appeared, like I said, to have been shot on the runway. So I'm like, okay, this is either a passenger or a pilot. And by the way it was shot, the angle at which it was shot, I actually got out in the car and held my – it was obviously, again, a cell phone shot. I held my cell phone outside of my car window and just shot pictures to see what I would get. What kind of angle would I get? And I got relatively the same angle. So I tend to think this is probably a pilot or co-pilot shooting either through a window or sticking their cell phone outside the window and firing. I don't know either way. There doesn't appear to be a window in the way. So that's interesting, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, a little bit. Uh, this photograph is, like I said, a runway. It is decidedly an overcast sky, which it was that day, November 7th, 2006. Wow, where'd that come from? Your brain. 4.40 a.m. <laughs> um, oh, did you look uh, at it enough times? <laughs> probably. Uh, <laughs> No, it was. Uh, it, I mean, it's it's a very uh, it's a, there's a tilt of the horizon, if I remember correctly, because I haven't looked at it in a while. And there are some lights on the ground, and there are some. Act- I mean, there are stationary objects, and when there are stationary objects in a shot, I can find out. Google Earth is a great tool. Number one, what is the runway? Number two, if that's the runway, where is the object? And three, where are the stationary objects in the shot? Well, they had said that this this saucer-shaped craft, allegedly saucer-shaped craft, was hovering over gate C-17. I don't think it was over gate C-17 because where I had pegged it was not near that. In fact, if this photograph was – it may have been shot early 
in the sighting. In other words, this thing may have moved into position over gate C-17. Where this photograph is, is not there. I wish that I had the map in front of me, but um, that is on an old hard drive somewhere that I have to find. <laughs> but I actually did a triangulation map. I identified the runway. I identified the stationary objects in front. In fact, there's some railroad uh, tracks and a building off to the right in this shot that I identified from the overall uh, map of O'Hare, the overhead, using Google Earth. I said, well, it's there, and I know where it is, but it's not correlating to where the reported sighting happened. I don't know what that means yet. So I'm at that point where I'm like, mm, dude, I don't know. And then I start looking at this photograph, which I've gotten I've gotten this raw photograph. And obviously, there is uh, no EXIF data at all in it. There is no, there is no sort of identifiers on this. Like, I can't tell what kind of phone it was shot with. Ah, Erosion, thank you for the map. Yeah, I sent you a map of the overhead yeah. shot of O'Hare Airport. Which yeah, I don't know how much of this is going to do for you or not. But. Really not, because what, what I did was I actually overlaid a map uh, of the different terminals that lined up, and then I lined up the runways. And it's a, as you can see, looking at that shot, and anybody wants to go look at this, either you'll have it on your site or they can look it up. You can oh, notice that mess. there isn't a similar runway on that field. They are no. all unique. And unique is one way to put it. Holy cow, what a train wreck. I mean, we're talking one of the most congested airports in the United States, if not the most congested in the United States. In the international oh my God. Airport. I mean, when we're looking at... Uh, oh, no, How no. does anything fly out of there? <laughs> well, it's uh, uh, that's, that's an interesting part of how this plays out. I mean, um, and it also speaks a little bit to the, the, the paranoia of, of ufology, I guess. I mean, here I am, I've been in this... You know, at the time, I'd been this feel like twenty some odd years, probably or more, and um, uh, and everybody knew me as this guy who just like, nope, it's not, it's not legit, or I don't know what it is. I never said that's alien. I never said we don't have shit like that. I never said there's no such, you know, I, that's not somewhere I went. I always just said I don't know what it is. I can't identify what that is, but it is in fact there. Uh, it is, in fact, in the shot and is not a fake. And those were rare. Most of the time, I could explain them, 90% of the time. And so with this shot, I'm kind of, wow, no exit data. Obviously shot on a cell phone. Not the greatest resolution in the world, but feels right. Something about this feels weird. And the airport was shut down at the time. They wouldn't let flights in or out because of what was going on there, correct? Uh, they delayed flights from landing, yeah. And I didn't find that out until later. I mean, you have to realize how this thing actually even came out was that it was it was reported on one date and wasn't actually talked about for a while. I mean, it was not like it happened, breaking news, it's out. It didn't happen that way. It was – and that involves some kind of politics that really isn't important to the story. But, you know, it, 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 it probably should have been worked on before – a lot of hands got into it, and a lot of people started talking about it. It probably should have been examined thoroughly. The sighting should have been acted upon a lot earlier than it was, and I think that would have been best for everyone. But when I'm looking at this, I'm thinking, you know, uh, it something about it just doesn't feel wrong. Something about it feels like this seems candid enough. This is not a great picture, and there's rule number two. If it looks too good to be true, it is. It's not that it might be. It is too good to be true if it looks too good. Right. The best UFO shots I've ever seen have been the most terribly framed shots I've ever seen. And there was another sighting we'll talk about in a minute, but O'Hare looked just candid enough.
Well, you did have a witness that you spoke to as well, though. There was somebody that had that yeah. had seen it from the roadside or something like that as well, correct? Yeah. Or have I, you had more more witnesses than just the one? I had a couple other ones um, that ended up I ended up contacting uh, through email, and um, but the, the, I think the most valuable one was the first one I spoke with, who actually came to me through. Again, Mark Allen, he put me on to her because she had contacted him about it. Um, Is she the one that you met or just spoke to? One-on-one on the phone. Right, uh, okay. She, um, she's a really nice lady, very no-nonsense. Um, genuinely, I would say – I wouldn't say upset, but definitely shaken by what she'd seen. Mm. And not only shaken but by what she'd seen, but shaken by the way people around her reacted as well. I mean, her story was is that she came to pick up a friend of hers who was a pilot, and uh, she left her house. She saw the craft long before she got to the airport. She was at a red light, I would say, on the edge of town next to the airport. Now, here's the first interesting bit. When she first sighted the object, she said um, she was sitting at a particular street light, and I pinpointed her on the map, and I said, at the count of three, ma'am, I want you to say where the UFO was in relation to you. You're facing forward into the intersection. I knew where it should be based on this photograph. And she said, and I said, in tandem, above and to my right. And that's exactly where it should have been if this huh. photo were legitimate. So there's no way that she would have known that had she not seen it in that spot. And I said, right. did it move? And she said, not that I could discern. So she it didn't got move? To, not that she could discern. Okay. Now, are any of the photographs – can you see any movement in any of the photographs? There is or only like one. A, there's only there's one. one. That's the mm. only one that anyone has ever seen that has held any water at all. Wow. But anyway, this lady, she was pretty taken aback that I knew exactly. She's like, how do you know that? I said, because this photograph that I have has it in a certain spot, and based on where you are, that's exactly where it should have been. And if it were where it was allegedly reported to be, it wouldn't have been there for her. Strike one for the photograph being interesting, okay, at best, without shooter ID and contact with the shooter. So I'm like, okay, this is interesting. So she says she goes to the International Terminal parking lot, and she's parked. She says, it's still there, and it is real there. I mean, there's people out in the parking lot looking at this thing. She said there were people on the corners of, I guess, the parking lot or when she was pulling in with cameras shooting this thing. People shooting it with their cell phones. People, I mean, the gambit, right? And uh, she said, we're standing there watching this thing. And she said, I got to say, it was kind of hard to see. But when you saw it, you locked on and there it was. And you could definitely see it when you looked at it. But she said, it, for you to stand there and say, find the odd thing, it's like a Where's Waldo. And I said, it had a camouflage effect. And she said, yes. I said, what fascinated you the most about it? That it wasn't moving or that it was an odd shape? She goes, no, the skin on the damn thing fascinated me. That's her exact words. I said, explain to me that. She said, and she had a hard time. She was a lot of oohs and ahs. And she goes, I guess the best way to describe it, and this is really going to sound dumb, is that it appeared to be buzzing with gnats. Hmm. She said, hmm. the I said, so like a static equality. And she goes, yes, that's what I'm looking for, like staticky but very fine grain, moving, undulating, buzzing. I said, okay. Ugh, that just said, gave me the willies. So she said, yes, it's darker than the sky. And then anybody who's read enough about this knows that when this thing left, it went from uh, zero to – and up through the clouds, cut a hole in the clouds. She said, when this happened, the entire – she said <laughs> – I said, what was the reaction of the crowd surrounding you? And she said – screams and gasps and she said that freaked me out alone she said <laughs> what really freaked me out was that right before it jumped i felt a very strong hair standing up on my head fuzzy feeling on my face like a static electric charge hmm. and that everyone Jesus. that's something we hear a lot about so uh, if all these know, people were videotaping it and camera footage and all this stuff how come how come no more of this stuff has, has surfaced? Or is it that it has surfaced, but so many other people put, put fake stuff out there that flooded the market, for lack of a better term, that the real stuff got washed or just lost in, lost in the wave? Is that it? Well, I think it's like she said. I said, when you, you know, if you were there looking at it, if you could have shot it with a cell phone camera, would you have gotten it? She goes, you know, I don't think so, because it's one thing to look at it with your eyes, but to try and find it 
with a viewfinder or with a camera, you know, it would been it would have been difficult. I can relate to that because there's been times where I've been out in the back air with my telescope with my daughters just trying to find the moon. And the moon is a sizable object. <laughs> and when you're looking through a little tiny lens trying to find the moon, you know, I'm looking at it with the viewfinder going, okay, I should be finding it any second here. So I'm twiddling the knobs and I'll be damned if it doesn't take me five minutes to find the moon and I'm looking right at with the stupid telescope. So, I mean, even a fairly moderate star would be hard to find mm-hmm. if you didn't know exactly where to zoom into it. I mean, my opinion on that, I don't know, but my opinion on that is that if it were so difficult to see with your eye, uh, it may have been even difficult, if not impossible, to get a camera on it, but provided someone, just say someone had, and likely many people did. If they were looking, remember this is an international airport, people are either leaving or coming in, and if they're looking on a, at the time, probably relatively small LCD screen on a camera, they probably didn't see it. And telephone technology wasn't as great as it was now, back then. No. So, 97, it was crap. Or oh, seven. Yeah. How Ugh. many potentially really good photographs were like, oh, I didn't get it, delete? What about airport security? You know, wouldn't they... Uh, wouldn't, really? Wouldn't, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, Crash that... and burn on that question. <laughs> No, I mean, I mean, and again, you're talking about, you know, United Airlines. Uh, it was a ramp employee that uh, first cited it, and that was United Airlines. And I believe, and I don't, don't quote me on this. I mean, you got to realize, spend some years and some mileage on me. You know, I don't think they were actually doing all that well. Let's put it to you that way. Mm-hmm. So, does a major airline, whatever airline it was, I remember hearing rumors that they weren't doing very well. And so, do we really need this? Being reported by <laughs> not doing well? I don't think so. Hmm. Uh, I can respect that in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, I say, well, it's bigger than you. But they're looking at a bottom line business, and I can understand that too. I think that – I think the sighting – I mean I have no doubt the sighting happened. I spoke to enough people that saw it and described it in precisely the same way that I don't doubt that it happened. Well, how closely did you scrutinize the photograph? I'm assuming you ran it through some photo software – and looked for well, defects and edges and things like that. Did you find any discrepancies in that stuff? Well, I guess the first thing to make mention of and the caveat to all that is to say that the photograph was not a super high-resolution photograph to start with. So there was a limited amount of data that you could actually pull out of it. What I could pull out of it was that you know you have an RGB channel, red, green, blue, mm-hmm. on an image like that. If you looked at specific channels, green, blue – Red. You notice that there was in some channels only, okay? That's the important part to remember this. In certain channels only, there was specific data around the object that showed up in no other part of it. Hmm. Not a combined RGB, not in the red and the green, not in the blue and the green. One channel. Green, I've got a disturbance around this object that looks very much like some kind of atmospheric disturbance going on do you see it in the red channel no blue no the hole no so that would have been a lot of work to fake something like that just just to add that little piece of minuscule evidence of that most people probably aren't going to be looking for number three and not to give hoaxers an edge number three rule if it's such a minute change if it's such a minor thing if it's absolutely a specific of minutia that no one would even tell or see in the final product how far is one going to go to fake something mm. there's a point where you go i yeah, it's don't good enough <laughs> okay. yeah. i'm going to just change the green channel to show some kind of weird atmospheric thing it won't show up in the real image no no now what uh, kind of atmospheric disturbance was it like a corona effect around it or it appeared just to be um uh, like a shimmer it appeared to be more or less like the clouds were being slightly undulated and, and moved. Mm. Um, and it was very, very slight. I mean, this was very slight. But when you looked at it in in comparison with the whole, it was very interesting. And the fact that it would only be in one channel is is a is a very interesting thing because you're talking about a you know a series of plates, if you want to call them that, a red, a green, and a blue that combine mm-hmm. to make your final image. And if it's only in a certain channel, that means that that is a channel-specific data set, which means either someone went in and changed that 
without screwing up the original image or in that original image, whatever captured that was only visible in a certain spectrum or at a certain density of the 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 fabric of the whole image is interesting. This was in 2006, correct? Uh, yes. Okay, so at that time, I know photo develop. I, I know Photoshop has come leaps and bounds since then. To be able to do that at that time, would the average layman person be able to go in and do that with that kind of a picture? I would say the average layman. No. Yeah. I would say if it was if it was someone with unbelievable amounts of time, unbelievable amounts of knowledge, and some serious skills. So it was possible, but it wouldn't be beneficial because nobody could come along and said, "This is my picture. I took this to try to claim credit for it." I, I no. I think that what you would have to keep in mind is that everyone wants to talk about well, if we see an airplane today, that means the government's had it for forty years. I mean, you know. Yeah. I mean, 71 uh, stealths, all these kind of things. You know what I mean? You look at how far back they go, and we just found out about them. Well, that pretty much goes for a lot of things. And I would not be surprised to find out that powers that be uh, would have use for being able to edit photographs in such a way as they are unbelievably changed and altered that they would never be detected. I can do things. I could, and I've said this before. If I ever really got good UFO pictures, no one would believe me anyway. Everyone knows. <laughs> and I can guarantee everyone, and I don't mind saying this, and I realize this is damning me forever, forever being able to show anybody any UFO shots that I took. If I fake something, you will never know. I can promise you, you will never know. Because I wouldn't use Photoshop. <laughs> <laughs> okay? That's the thing. I mean, and... Everybody knows what I do, so I'm useless as far as giving anyone data that I get. And I have shot some pretty decent footage before, but I won't analyze it, and I won't – like, I don't want anything to do with it. Like, you take it, and you look at it, and you tell me. And Maccabee has looked at some of my stuff, and, and you know, we've gone to get measurements of trees, and he's like, I, I don't I – don't. I don't know what to say about it. It's you know, And other people have looked at a series of shots that I took a while back, and they're like, I don't know. And I'm like, well, I don't know either. You know, I think all that glitters isn't gold. (laughs) I think that my credit is that I've embarrassed myself enough with my personal experiences that people know by now that I'm really afraid to lie about any of this stuff. (laughs) That's not something Jeff does. Jeff does not. Jeff does not do that. And and I think that's because Jeff knows if Jeff ever did that, well, I don't want to know what what would happen. This is pretty Uh, bad. You're speaking about yourself in the third person now. (laughs) I don't want to, uh, I don't want to take ownership of anything attributing to that because I am genuinely afraid of some of this phenomena and I do not want to know what might happen if I would ever portray it in a way that wouldn't be what it was. That's not something I would ever do. So I would like to think people would know me well enough to go. I trust him. I don't think he would fake something on me, but if I did, I think, I'm not saying no one would ever find out. I'm saying it would be really good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> really good composites, and I can do really good models and all that, all that junk. But And so that's, for me, I know how hoaxers think because I know what you have to do to make stuff happen like that. Yeah, and how I, hard is it to make something look real? How hard is it for you to take a picture and really make it look real you know, as opposed to just taking a picture of a tree. If you want to put a tree into the background and not be able to find – for people to find out to do it, is is it something that's really hard to do? Or I would imagine now with Photoshop being the way that it is. Hmm. I mean, is it, is it really difficult to, to put a UFO into a picture and still make it look right and get the edges right? So where if some people were to blow it up or run it through a program like you're talking about right now, you know, is is it hard to do that to make to make it look convincing? That's the problem is people have a real misnomer about edges. They think edges. Uh, look at the edges, the edges. That, I, and I've seen people chuck away fairly interesting UFO shots because, oh, we darkened it and we changed the levels. Um, in, in any you know, f- editing program, you can change the levels. Uh, Photoshop is really adept at level ch- adjustments. And in level adjustments, you can adjust the, the brights, the whites, the mids, the grays, and the darks, the blacks. And you can – do those independently and people will immediately let's go to the dark and and lighten it up and do the dark and then what they usually get is around the disc they'll get a square of pixels mm-hmm. and they'll go ah it see that ah yeah it's pasted in now that's a that's a that's a compression artifact and uh and oftentimes when things get compressed that means you're 
your pixel groupings get larger. And uh, what they're recognizing is they're seeing what used to be a fade. In other words, if the object is out of focus, when you compress and you blow up and you level adjust to bring out those darks, it's going to pick up those darker pixels, but they're being compressed. It, literally, that's what it means. It's compressing gradation. It's compressing. It's modeling the photograph. It's making things less clear, less defined. So they see that and they immediately think, ah, it's pasted in. No, it's if let me tell you what. If you're going to fake something, are you going to fake it by cutting a square around a round <laughs> and putting it in? No. No, you're going to cut it in a circle. Edges are really nothing. I mean, I can I can take a picture of Lobo against uh, uh, maybe a gray background, pop him out of it, um, stand him on the field in Woodstock, New York by himself, adjust the lights, and he would be there and you would not be able to tell. Um, I mean, I do for your camera being broken, right? (laughs) I, I, I mean, I do this every day of my life at work. I do composite work every day and I have gotten really fast at doing it. And, um, uh, it's not difficult. And so anybody who wants to do it as a hobby, um, you know, go look at worth1000.com. There are some people out there that are amazing composite people and, uh, it, it, it's not, it's not hard and it's getting easier. <laughs> That's what's dangerous about visual evidence these days is it's getting so easy. And unfortunately the, the tools that are used to create hoaxes are beginning to surpass the ability of most people to be able to detect them. That's the real problem. But when you're talking about a case like O'Hare, it's it's a photograph that has no known origin, number one, and no contact with a shooter. Yet it's interesting, yet you've got a lady who verifies what the photograph says. And you're like, hmm, okay. I think people have to realize that when that came up, I was getting ready to take a break from Above Top Secret. I was getting ready to take a break from a lot of this stuff. But unfortunately, when that case broke, you got to jump on it when it's hot. I mean, that's just how it works. And uh, and so I took some heat for, well, why did he just come back in? And why did – you know he was taking a break. He wanted to write his book. He wanted to do this. Well, my answer is what are you going to just sit by and let one of the biggest sightings of the past 10 years just go by you, right, because you want to take a break? That's not how it works. You get it when you get it. So that was kind of weird thing number one. Weird thing number two was that when I'm working on this, I have to update above top secret on what I'm finding as I'm finding it. 72 hours straight, no sleep. Ooh, I've I'm done going, that before. That drive you nuts. It's brutal. And one of the things that happened was that uh, uh, the guy that I, you know, I had worked on this thing for a long time. And towards the end, a guy that I knew who I don't even mention his name anymore, but uh, 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 quite a skilled man as far as imaging goes. He found in it a, a symbol or a pattern in the sky, not anything to do with the UFO itself, nothing to do with that object in it. But he found a series of pixels arranged in a certain geometry that didn't make sense to him. Uh, And he said, that to me says that um, it is not a camera artifact. It is not a compression artifact. It's deliberately put there. Uh Uh-oh. And I'm like, huh. And I look at it and I see it. and I'm like, I see that. I don't know. Uh, are you sure? Because I don't know. He says, trust me, this is... It's like, well, the guy obviously, when it came to Photoshop at least, had a much bigger name than I. And so there's no way that I could argue against that. And uh, to be honest with you, I was pretty tired after 72 hours of no sleep. And um, I said, well, maybe you're right. Maybe this is the point where we call it and we just say, uh, essentially, it's a very interesting photograph and it's a very compelling photograph. And it was. But it appears to have been tampered with, but not in the sense of faking the photograph. Hmm. What it came down to, and it made sense to me, uh, and it made sense to me for many months afterwards, that it appeared that if someone were, just say, Rosen, you're a guy who does a lot of this stuff. You're known for doing a lot of photo analysis work. And you come out and you go, I think this thing is legit. I think this is real. I think this is a real depiction of this event. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's my that's my judgment. I don't know what it is. I don't see it as being tampered with. And then someone comes forward out of the ether and says, 
you know, I put this symbol in there just to show people it's been messed with and you missed it. Now, see, now you're going to take the fall on that. You're going to be the one that is. That- no. <laughs> Someone was setting you up to be a patsy? <laughs> I think that, and I don't say me. I don't say. Uh, but whoever was the one who came up and found the evidence and said this is real, they could come along and say, nope, you're wrong, and here's why. I, I think it would have been a miss to say that we don't believe it was tampered with. And that was where we left it, because yeah. what more could we say? A- and it was interesting. But I started looking at it, um, I don't know, a little more than two years ago. I found that same symbol, quote-unquote symbol, and that's a relative term to me anymore, in other places. I also found partials of it in other places. I don't think it was put there. I don't think it's anything but random pixels that made a symbol in one spot that seemed to be symmetric. I don't know that I would hang my hat on someone put that there anymore. I think probably the one thing that most people don't know is that I don't agree that the thing showed up initially over gate C-17. I think it was over another place based on the witness that I spoke to, the photograph that we looked at. That doesn't seem normal. Unless the witness was a party to faking the photograph, right? Yeah. Still, would would that witness to have concocted that photograph known where it should have been in relation to her position? How many people would know where they are in relation to where the th- I mean, really? I don't mm. think a lot of people can reconcile direction that well to be able to say, oh, it was over to my right. And, I mean, we went much deeper into the right part into where I told her pretty much exactly how far to turn her head in a number of degrees to see it. And she's like, yeah, that's about where I was. So the, the clincher is, is that I'm not so sure anymore that the reason that we tabled it is valid. And I also don't necessarily think that it started or appeared over C-17 because that's certainly not what this photograph is. Am I willing to hang my hat on that photograph? No, I'm still not willing to do that until I talk to the shooter. And I and if he's listening, call me. <laughs> You're in the book. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like I want to talk to you. I'm not going to get you in trouble. I've got a flawless record of keeping confidentiality for the past 26 years. Um, I will, I would love just the email exchange with you, you know, paratopiapodcast at gmail.com. Uh, <laughs> I think it's, um, I think it's interesting that I heard rumors that Dan Aykroyd was given full motion video of the sighting and yet we've never seen it. Yeah, I heard uh, that too. I don't, Aykroyd been, seems to have his fingers in a lot of weird stuff though. And, and that, that never has surfaced. Uh, there's never been another photograph out of there. Hmm. But what did come on its heels that very few people are aware of, even though it was on the internet, it was on AboveTopSecret.com, was that Mark approached me some days later with a shot from LaSalle. And I was like, what's LaSalle? He says, that's a uh, an area in, you know, in and around Chicago. I was like, okay. Um, I believe it was near some kind of power plant of some kind. And um, a woman was walking. She saw an object, broad daylight, bright sunlight, not overcast like the O'Hare sighting. This is a sunny day, little puffy clouds, very Simpson-like sky. <laughs> That's how we in the biz refer to that kind of cumulus sky. Simpson-like. <laughs> <laughs> and um, looking at this, and I'm like, this is a series of four photographs. And it is, as near as I can tell, a incredibly similar object, shape, size you would think in relative scale to the o'hara object uh it's moving she shot it click 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 as it moved by her she's out walking in a field with a fence and a tree and a hedgerow oh my god you couldn't ask for better stationary reference she shot clear shot number one clear shot number two clear shot number three as it passed by her at a fairly slow clip from the cloud movement, you can tell this, right? Shot to shot. I lined these things up. I overlapped, and I kind of accounted for any kind of ocular distortion that happened between shots. And I'm like, well, yeah, this looks really good, and shot number four is horrible. (laughs) I mean that about 80% of it is obscured by a tree. Uh, (laughs) And I found it's there behind this tree. Just like you might expect if someone is click, 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 click. Really? Exactly what you expect to see. I was like, 
Mark, you can let loose of photo one, two, and three on the board. Give me, give me 24 hours with number four. And, uh, and he did. And I said, here's the clincher. How far is someone going to go to fake something? Are they going to make it so that it's barely discernible between the leaves of a tree? I don't think so. I don't think so. Mm. And again, it was if it was that, they did a hell of a job on the mat of the tree to be able to sneak this thing behind it. Uh, I think they're legitimate photographs from LaSalle. I will uh, say that about that, that set of, of four. I will say I think they're really good. Did you speak to the shooter, though? Mark uh, did. Uh, he knows the, the identity of the boy. I do not. It ended up being her son that sent them to him, to uh, ATS. And, um, you know, his thing was, uh, and I, I'm sure we're safe to talk about this now, but his thing was if my mom found out that I sent you, she would kill me. I mean, she asked me to delete him off her cam, off of her, you know, off her camera, off her phone. And, um, yeah. And so he was genuinely scared of what mom would do if mom knew these photographs got out. So he didn't want his name out for that reason alone. Hmm. Yeah. But we've never heard from him again, much like a lot of these people. They have an experience, and then they just drop away from it. It just becomes something they don't really go into anymore. But I've got those shots still in my Gmail account. They're still there. And mm. um, and I still look at them and go, it's probably some of the better UFO shots I've seen in a while. Probably the best I've ever seen that I've worked on uh, since I've been doing this. They're really very really? good. Really? And that will bring part one of this episode to a close. I know it ends kind of abruptly, but right there from that point on, we immediately go into the next topic. And the next topic is pretty long and drawn out, so I apologize for just cutting off right there. But next episode, we pick up right from that point, and we step down to Gulf Breeze, Florida, and a few other miscellaneous topics. And we still go deeper into the concept of fake evidence, how things are faked a little bit more. And we eventually ask the question, does evidence really even matter anymore? So we'll see you guys in a couple of days when we get this episode up and ready to go. Peace.